Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing all right. Um, I missed you the past two Sundays. I did, but um, had a great time on vacation. Uh, I thought Seth did an excellent job um, while I was gone, as well as Thomas. Although I've only listened, Thomas, to 17 minutes of your sermon. Um, I'm, my copy only had 17 minutes of it, and I'm sure that there was more to it than just the 17 minutes, but the 17 minutes was stellar, it was stellar, stellar stuff. So I'm very thankful for those two guys um, preaching. I think Seth isn't in the room, but Thomas is. Thomas is kind of like the Southern Baptist, old-timey sort of preacher type guy, which is awesome, Right? He, he just did an incredible job and, and very connecting and had some great things to say, so I thought that was, that was incredible. Um, so we, we went on vacation to Florida and Daytona Beach and Cape Canaveral. I'd never seen a space shuttle up close before in my life, so that was quite the experience. I didn't realize that on top of it, the same patchworking that's on the bottom is also on the top. It's just white. I didn't realize that until I saw it the first time. So anyway, that's exciting for people like me that's kind of space nerds, nonetheless. Um, we are starting a new series. It's called It's Hot Again. Last summer, we had a series called It's Hot. So this summer, we're having a series called it, It's Hot Again. These uh, sermons really do not connect with each other thematically. The only thing that connects is there are places in the Bible where fire is mentioned, and that's, that's kind of the criteria for, for how we choose these. Um, how many of you are ready for football season? For football season? Um, I know that for some of you, it starts in August, right, with football practice and, and things like that. I have no idea when the pros start. Is that also August? Yeah, it's also August. Great. Um, what I've noticed when I, when I do watch football is like when they run into the end zone, they kind of get really excited and they do dances or, or stuff like that, you know, to celebrate the fact that they made a touchdown. Um, Christians that are, that are there or people that believe in a God will either kneel down to pray, which would, was Tim Tebow, who I'm not sure what he does now when he hits a home run in baseball, guess he runs around the bases, and some of you didn't know he played baseball, and he plays base. Yeah, okay. Anyway, <clears throat> he's the one that used to pray, but the other Christians that go into the, go into the end zone, they do stuff like, you know, or, you know, giving praise to God or whatever, which I, which I think is awesome. I am waiting for the day, not that I approve of this at all, that a Satanist actually makes a touchdown, and maybe when he went into the end zone, he would go, maybe, something like that, or maybe an atheist, which would go, right, kind of giving, giving praise to whatever, but nonetheless, all that said, um, we are going to turn in our Bibles this morning to Exodus chapter 13. So if you'll take your Bibles. Um, in the Bible, there is a couple of stories that are trickled all the way through uh, Scripture. Um, one of them is the Exodus from Egypt. 
Um, and so throughout Scripture, from, from this point on, you'll have either God saying, remember, the, I'm the one that brought you out of the land of Egypt, or you'll have a prophet saying, it is the God that brought you up from the land of Egypt. Or you'll even have Jesus say, I am the I am, which is a relationship with the God that brought them up out of the land of Egypt. And the story of the Exodus is a huge one. Um, if you're not that familiar with the Exodus story, um, or what I'm talking about at this time, maybe this will bring it in for you. It is where the children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt. And 400 years later, God decided to uh, break them out of that. And he did it with 10 plagues, which I'm sure everybody's familiar with. You might not be able to list them, but you know there's 10 plagues. The last one was the plague of death, where he killed all the firstborn in Egypt that didn't have blood on the post of their doors. Um, that blood that's on the post of the doors is actually signifies Passover, which is something that the Jews even celebrate today. So, so that's, that's it. After that happened, they were able to go out of Egypt and, um, and, and start their journey toward the promised land. And that is precisely where Exodus chapter 13 um, picks up. So let's start reading with verse 17. And this is what it says. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly Swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from uh, Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people. So here is you have the children of Israel leave, leave Egypt and you have this pillar of a cloud and this pillar of a fire that is there to guide them along their way. The fire was by night. Fire so that you could see. Fire so that they could see where they were at. Fire so if they were traveling, they had light for the steps that they were taking. When the pillar stopped, either the fire or the, or the cloud stopped, the whole group of them stopped, and that's where they camped for the night or for the evening, and that is where they stayed. So the fire and the cloud is basically in this story a manifestation of God's presence. It is a visual reminder that God is with them. This is, this is interesting that he would do this. Um, first of all, he, they didn't have this before. For the 400 years they were in Egypt, they didn't have this manifestation of God's presence. Um, during the 10 plagues, they didn't have this manifestation of God's presence. Though they knew that God was sending the plagues, the frogs, the locusts, the bulls, the, the death, all that kind of stuff, they knew God was doing that. They didn't have this fire, this, this cloud. They didn't have something to follow. But as soon as they left, God provided this. 
There's a couple of reasons that he provided this. First of all, he wasn't going to lead them in the way that they thought that they should go. I don't know if you know this or not, but there was an easier way to get to Canaan than the route that they went. A lot easier way to get get there, but God didn't want them to go in that particular direction. He had other plans. So he basically led them away from the land that he'd promised them, Canaan, before they even got to its border. So this fire was a manifestation of God's presence. It was a visible sign that God was with them and that God was leading them. This fire and this cloud, this pillar, this cloud, was also a guide for them on the way that they should go. So this fire was a guide. This is the way that you should go here. This is the way that you should go there. And so that, that was what it was. Now, how many of you would like for something like this to happen in your life? Okay, in the back, yeah. Several people. Where do, where do I need to go today? Well, follow the cloud. Follow the fire. Follow this. And maybe it wouldn't be a big, like, huge one so everybody could see it. Maybe it's just something that only you could see. Right? And you could follow exactly where God wanted you to go, and that would, be, that would be very simple, very easy to understand. You'd pray every day for God to show you the fire, show you the cloud, and then you would follow it. It'd be pretty, pretty simple. Now, this fire, this cloud, took them on a journey. Here's a map of their journey. So at the very top of the left, you have Goshen, right here, your left-hand corner. The green arrow goes down, and if you notice... Really, they could have followed the Mediterranean Sea and went right up to the promised land, but that's not the way that God led them with this pillar and this cloud. He led them south because we all know all God's people live in the south. So Goshen, Goshen goes down and, and the pillar of cloud goes down all the way to this peninsula at the very end. Now, I want you to notice, I don't know if you can see it from that far, but at the bottom of this is a darker brown area. Do you see that darker brown area? You need to shake your head because if not, I need to see the darker. Those are mountains. Right below those mountains is beach. Okay, it's flatland. So God intentionally led his people into a trap. He intentionally led his people to a place where there would be no way out if the Egyptians were to follow them. Doesn't that make you feel comforted when you're thinking about following God? You know, I I believe that sometimes, and I know this to be true, that sometimes God leads you into a place where you have no way out so that you'll be trapped by the enemy comforting thought, isn't it? We often think of following God and following Jesus and, and, and doing things for him as like open doors and everything's breezy and everything's like a day at the beach and it's just bright and nice and relaxing and vacationy and it's just incredible and, and there's no problems when we're following God. There's, there's nothing that's going to go wrong when we follow God. It's, it's just him leading us in the pathway that we should go and everything is going to be peachy king. It's going to be absolutely incredible. There's not going to be any more problems once that we are following God. But more times than not, the opposite is true. 
a lot of times God intentionally leads you to a place that you can't get out of. He leads you into a trap that the enemy can get you at, a trap that the enemy can come and trap you into a particular place. The idea in following God is not following him into some type of of nice living and blessings in life and everything's peachy king. It's not that. It's following him in the good times and the bad times. It's following him when he leads you beside the still waters and when he leads you through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes God leads you to a place where you're going to be trapped in by the enemy. So what happens? Well, Pharaoh kind of gets over all this stuff that's happened in Egypt, and he gets very angry, and he decides to pursue the children of Israel in the very way that they went. And he says to themselves, the way that they've gone is kind of stupid because now they're blocked in. So I can go down there, and I can have victory and bring some of them back so that they can do some work around here. I mean, ever since they've been gone, we haven't been able to build these pyramids. My, my house is, is dirty, there's, there's rocks falling off, there's some wiring that needs to happen. I need to go back and get these slaves and bring them back, right? So he sends his army and actually goes with them after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel turn and they see them coming and they become scared because at the point in time that the army comes, they know that they're blocked. They can't get over the mountain. They can't swim across the Red Sea. They have too much stuff. Right? There's not a ship there. There's nothing that they can get on. And they become very, very, very fearful. So this is what the Word of God says in chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of uh, Paharon, Roth, sorry, Roth, between Migdol and the sea, in front of uh, Belzepon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped at the sea. Verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And as they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, they said to Moses, it is because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us to bring us out of Egypt? Is, it, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? 
for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. A couple of things. First of all, if God ever leads you into a place where there's no way out and the enemy has trapped you in, he has a plan to get you out of that situation. God always, always makes a way for his people. Always. Human nature is to see a situation that is unsolvable and say, there's no way out of this. There's no way that I can do anything to get out of this. I am trapped. The enemy is going to overtake me. This is going to do me in. The moment that we start thinking that way is the moment that we forget that the God who created the universe can get us out of our little bitty situation that we're currently in. The God who gave us breath, who formed us in the womb and brought us to life is the very God that can bring us out of our situation and will provide a miraculous way for us to succeed, and for us to escape. For God's people, there's always a way of escape. God doesn't just send you into a place where you'll be blocked in so that you will be conquered. God sends you into that place so that you will learn to have faith and trust in Him. If everything was pretty and everything was fine, you would struggle in your faith more than you would if God would send you into situations where you don't know a way out. It's the moment that you realize that you do not have the power to get out of a situation that you become dependent on the very one who can get you out of that situation. Does everybody follow me? The moment that you feel weak is the moment that you can see his strength. The moment that you realize that you can't do anything about it and you leave it in his hands is the moment that he's the one that gets the honor and the glory for delivering you. See, I don't know about you, but I like to deliver myself. I like to be the one that's responsible for the touchdown, mainly because I'm not athletic, and if I make a touchdown, it's a miraculous event, right? But we want the credit. We want to say that we have done something, but God is really the one that does it all for us all the time. And when we follow God, He is the one that is working, not us. And so what happens? Well, most of you know the story. Moses prays, and the waters part. And the children of Israel go across on dry ground. Now, can't the Egyptians just catch up to them and take them over? Right? They're in chariots, horses, big army. They've they've emptied Egypt of all its army, all its protection, all its stuff. It's really overkill for what they're about to do. Can't they just catch up to them? No, they can't. Do you know why? Remember that pillar of fire and that cloud? God places it behind the children of Israel and blocks the Egyptians from overtaking them. 
See, when God leads you to a place, not only will he provide for you a way out, he'll provide protection while you are there faithfully following him. Does it mean that you will never have any type of hardships or or feelings of I don't know what's going to happen? No, no, no. It doesn't mean that because you're going to feel that. You're human. But what it does mean is God's going to provide a way for you to, to get out, a way for you to escape, and then he's going to protect you from your enemies. God is an awesome, loving God, and all he requires of you to do is to follow him and his ways and his purposes, and he'll take care of the rest. God takes care of the rest. He does. Now, I'll have to say, when you're thinking about following God, and if you had a pillar of a cloud and if you had a fire, that'd be very simple. Wouldn't you say, to follow God? Wouldn't you say that? Very simple. Simple manifestation of following God. It's pretty easy. The fire moves, you move. The cloud moves, you move. Very easy to obey and to follow and to keep up with it. Very, very, very simple. Um, It wasn't that simple for the children of Israel. It wasn't. As simple as that was, as simple as that God was, it wasn't that easy for the children of Israel. Notice this verse, these two verses in Deuteronomy. It says this, Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents, and fire by night, and in the cloud by day, to show you by what way you should go. So, first part of that, yet in spite of this word, you did not what? Believe. This is mind-blowing to me. Can you imagine being a part of something where you've seen 10 plagues in Egypt and you knew it was God? You have exited with the pillar cloud by day, fire by night. You have crossed through the Red Sea, water on each side. But there's still people that didn't believe. We often think sometimes that if Jesus would do some miraculous events that more people would believe. That's not the case. It seems to be that if God does something miraculous, people, that doesn't ensure that they're going to believe in him or not believe in him. Have you ever noticed that? And so here's a group of people that have seen all this stuff. And not only did they not believe, they grumbled. From the day they left until they died in the hot wilderness, they grumbled and they complained about this, about that, about this, about that. They grumbled about food. They grumbled about water. They grumbled about leadership. None of it went very well because God judged those people. They judged the people that were grumbling. They grumbled when 12 spies went into the promised land and that was the vision God had for them to go into the promised land and set up their you know, set up their houses and stuff, and, and oh, it was just going to be great. Well, 10 of the spies came back and said, um, yeah, and we, we can't overtake that land. They're too big, and the fruit is even big. I'm scared of the fruit. They start throwing fruit at me. It's going to hurt. 
They were just scared. And there was only two that said, no, the Lord who brought us out of Egypt will take us into the land. They had seen the miraculous works of God. They had seen God work in their lives, but yet they did not believe that God could see them through all the way into the promised land. They did not have the faith not to grumble. They did not have the faith not to complain. They did not have the faith to just keep on going for God and in the direction that he had them. It was a simple plan. Follow the cloud, follow the fire. But they just couldn't grasp believing in the God that had demonstrated his power. I would submit to you this morning that Christians in our generation are the same way. There are people that have received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and I really believe that they received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Never debate that one. But their life and some of the things that they do and some of the directions that they go in and some of the things that they are involved in are just things that are totally against Scripture. It's very simple, right, to follow this word. Very simple. God is very direct and very plain in how he wants us to live and what we should do and what we should not do and how we follow him. It's it's very simple. It is right here, but yet people don't believe the book enough to make the book match the way that they live. They don't believe necessarily that it's really wrong because they continue to do these things. Sometimes Christians have the parent syndrome. Do you know what that is? It's when you tell your kids, "Um, I know I do that, but what's right for me is not right for you. Come on, parents. I don't want you to smoke, but I'm going to smoke because I'm already addicted to it, that sort of deal. You know what I mean? I don't want you to cuss, but I let them rip every now and then, right? Come on, parents. It's a parent syndrome. Sometimes we look at the Bible as a parent syndrome. Oh, yeah, you know, that's for, that's for the Carters. It's not for me. God's okay with me doing it, but the Carters, they need to, they need to toe the line, Right? Or maybe, maybe the live and goods. It's okay for you to do that, um, but it's not okay for me to do that, right? It's, it's yeah, different. Yeah, that's for them. That's not for me. We treat the Bible that way. Or, honestly, there's just things that we want to do that we know are against Scripture, We just want to do them, right? Come on. It's at that point that we have seen miraculous works of God. We know that he's real. He's shown himself to us, but we will not let our lives match the type of lifestyle that God would have for us to live. People back then, the children of Israel that saw all these things are the same type of people that live today, that are Christians today. All of us, all of us need to strive to live according to the simple directions of God's word. Though they are very hard to do at times, we need to live according to his word and his way and follow that path. We do not have a fire and we do not have a cloud, but we do have a book. We do have a book. 
And that is what we should live by. So, um, let me see. I need to, I need to find this, this verse that I'm looking for. Da, da, da. Okay. Exodus 14, verse 17. It says this. Yeah. God says, and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host and his chariots and his horsemen. Now, I want to read that again. I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and his chariots and his horsemen. Let me give you a clue to this. These people are about to die. They're about to drown to death. They're going to follow the children of Israel, into this path that God has opened for them in the, uh, in the Red Sea, they're going to die. And here in this passage it says, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. You know what I would like to see? I would like to see that in a worship song one day. Right? Lord, you killed some people. You got your glory. Some type of lyric like that. Lord, you put some people in, you hardened some people's hearts and you had them go here and there and everywhere and you got glory from it. Glory be to God. It would have to be in a minor key. I don't know, you might not know what a minor key is. Some of you do. I don't know if I can play one, okay? So we'll see, okay? This is a major key. This is C. See how pretty that is? Very nice, very lovely. I think this is minor, and if it's not, my wife will, my wife will get me after service, but that's all right. That's not minor? Yeah, it works, great. Minor key, right? It's like... To God be the glory, he has killed a bunch of people. Praise his holy name. Wow. I'm sure that if you were visiting a church the Sunday that they say that song about killing people and God get the glory for it, that would be the Sunday that you would leave. Right? It's interesting to me that he did this for his honor and for his glory. It's, it's, it's very interesting. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a dark side of God. So let me give you two Hebrew words. This one, this is kabod, glorious. This is the one that is normal. You are glorious, Lord, and it's very positive. It's, it's really this, the word that we use, glorify, in worship songs, it's very positive. That's in a major key that sounds really nice. That makes us feel good. 
Um, the word that's used here, however, is this one, kabad. And it means to be heavy, weighty, or burdensome is what it means. The other one means glorious. But this word for glory or honor, it could be honor in your Bible, means to be heavy, weighty, or burdensome. So this is how this works out in this text. There's a group of people over here, they're called the Egyptians, that will not give God the glory and honor that he deserves. They will not give him the respect that he deserves. Are you, are you tracking with me? They, they will just not do it. They, don't, they look down on him. They look down on his people. They feel like that they are more powerful. God moves and reveals himself. And every time God reveals himself, he reveals his glory. He reveals his power. He, de- he reveals his dominion. He, he reveals his holiness. And it's at this point in the story that God is going to act and he shows his power and his glory and his dominion to these Egyptians and it's very heavy and weighty and burdensome. And when those walls of water begin to fall in on them, they all of a sudden have a feeling of the awe and might and power of the God that they are actually against. And it's at that point that God gets glory. Are you tracking? It is basically, they didn't respect him until he displayed his power. He got his glory. It's to be heavy, weighty, or burdensome. I guarantee you that there's people in your life that you didn't think much of until they used their power. Right? There's some people in your life that you didn't think much of until you found out something about them that was like, wow, that's, that's pretty impressive, right? You didn't really respect an authority figure until something happened to you in life where they exercised their authority. Maybe you had to be talked to with your job. Maybe your parents had to talk to you about something. Maybe... I don't know, something happened and you just felt the power. This is what God is doing and he received the glory and honor that he deserved that they would not give until the moment that they had to be judged. I would submit to you today, Christians, that God is very serious about you living the life that he has prescribed in the Bible. He's very serious about it. Children of Israel who grumbled, And they went to the edge of the promised land and they said they could not go. God moved in a very heavy, weighty, or burdensome way. And this is what he said. He said, great, if you don't want to go, you don't have to. What's going to happen is you're going to stay in the wilderness and you're going to die there and your children are going to go into the promised land. You will not believe me. I've done all this stuff. You will not believe me. So now I'm going to say, hey, heavy, weighty, burdensome, you are going to die in the wilderness. And the people thought about that that night, and you know what they immediately did the next day? They said, hey, we're very sorry that we felt that way. We are ready to go into the promised land. And God said, no, I've already pronounced this is where you're going to stay. I'm glad that you're sorry, but you're not going to, you're not going to go. So what did the people do? 
They marched into the promised land and got their butts kicked because they went into it without God. I would submit to you today that every day is the day that you can choose to follow God, but it might be too late. the wrong screen. Sorry. They grumbled, they complained. Um, look, I don't remember how I put it. I worked on it for hours to get it exactly the right way that it needed to be. And obviously that is not what God wanted. Here's the deal. You can say you're sorry all you want and you can start following Jesus Christ today and that's a great thing. But there's some things that you have done and consequences that has happened that you can't go back on. There's some things that are already done that God's not going to take you out of that particular situation and put you over here as if it never happened. There are some times that you cannot follow God and you can continue in your disobedience to where God says, look, I love you, but you're going to stay here the rest of your life. You can follow me right here, but you're never going to achieve what I designed for you to achieve. Why? Because God takes following him very seriously. And we can be lackadaisical about it, and we can say he really doesn't move very much, but at a particular point in time, you can actually make decisions where God says, I had this future for you, but because you continually disobey me, because you continually do not trust in me, because you continually do not believe in me, you're going to have to live here the rest of your life and never make it to the place that I had designed for you to go. This is very humbling. There are some sins, there are some sins that Jesus will forgive you for, but they set the stage for the rest of your life. I'll give you an easy one. You rob a store, you go to jail. You can say you're sorry, but God ain't going to move you home. You're going to stay in jail. Follow me? There's some drugs that you can become addicted to that's going to set the stage for your mind and your health for the rest of your life. There's some excess drinking that you can do that will ruin your liver and it's going to set the stage for you for the rest of your life. There's some words that you can say to people that you love that sets the stage for you the rest of your life, and you never make it into the promised land. You never make it to the place God intended for you to be. There's some sins that you can commit that will take you out of where God wanted you to be. I'll give you a couple for me. One is if I ever commit adultery, I can never do this again. Okay, I didn't mean to say if. <laughs> okay, so don't, don't hammer me. It's not an if. I'm just saying if in the sense of I just can't do this again. It sets the stage for the rest of my life. I, at that point in time, would have to step down and I would never achieve what God 
intended for me to achieve for him and for his honor and his glory. It's the same way for you. God takes very seriously the choices that you make in this life. And if they are following him, you're headed toward what he designed you to be, what he designed you to accomplish. If they are in a different direction, you're settling for second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, eighth, best. God is gracious, he's merciful, he forgives, but the consequences for what you have done is the consequences for what you have done, and that's your level playing. So a couple of things. First of all, always follow God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Live like he says to live in the book. Head toward what he has for you in life. Second, if you're that person in here that's made some mistakes and you're on a different plane, I would submit to you today, follow him in that plane with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. There are people in the wilderness, in the Jews, that died early because they did not follow God. They decided to do other things that he told them not to do, and they died early in the wilderness, in the plain, in unfulfilled area of life. If you are on a plane, you've made some decisions, and you're going to have to stay in this plane, I encourage you today to follow God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and make the best of that situation. Make the best of it. He will honor that in the end. He will honor that in the end. He's a gracious God. A gracious God. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know what you need to confess to him today and say that you'll never do again. I don't know what you need to talk to him about that you say, you know, I haven't been following you, but I'm going to follow you. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to follow you. I want you to take a few moments to do that. And I want you to make a commitment to him this morning, just right there in your seat. You're going to be committed to following him and his word with all your might, all your soul, all your strength.